There are a good many ways that institutional investors are taking best advantage of this versatile market created by broad public participation. Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. I'm Matthew Halsbarby and today we've got a deep dive interview with Aki Balog from DLC Link. This is a very interesting new project that's building on top of Bitcoin and extending the functionality that is available using some like the existing technology that Bitcoin provides and bring that across other chains. Now, this I need to caveat this whole episode with a quick disclaimer that uh, I am on the cap table. I'm an angel investor in this company. I am not actively involved and I really just, uh, Aki reached out to me about coming on the podcast and we discussed this. I think this is a super interesting project. I would have invested in it myself if I didn't think otherwise, but you should be aware of that when 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 I'm talking about this, right? So I just want to get that disclosure out of the way. Now, we've been talking a lot on the podcast about Bitcoin recently, which usually, you know, you wouldn't think that'd be such a crazy notion for a crypto-based podcast. But the reality is that, you know, the majority of new developments are happening on chains outside of Bitcoin. That is up until recently. And we were talking a lot in the episode where we dug into ordinals. And I think this is somewhat of an extension here, because what we're going to be talking about is solving a big, big problem with people that have capital locked on in, in Bitcoin, or just having owning Bitcoin in, in size, where if you want to let borrow against that Bitcoin, which is a pretty common thing to do on ETH, you can just lock up your ETH in a, a smart contract as collateral and you can borrow against it. On Bitcoin, there isn't that same kind of functionality. And in fact, what you often have to do is rely on third-party custodians, which I don't know if you've been following the news recently, but it turns out that trusting third parties with your cash isn't always a very reliable thing to do. Um, And instead of doing that on Bitcoin, what DLC Link uh, enables, and DLCs is the underlying technology, is enables you to effectively set up and hold an escrow of Bitcoin on-chain that then can be utilized through lending protocols or facilitating trades or bridging, etc., across other blockchains, Ethereum, Solana, etc., etc. So we're going to dig into this on a technical level and zoom out a little bit into what this means, why it's exciting, and what it opens up. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the interview. Aki, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Pleasure having you on, and of course, just a pleasure to to catch up as as always. Why don't we why don't we start by just kind of getting this conversation going with a very high level explainer of what DLC Link is, the mission, journey so far, just the elevator pitch, if you like. We're building infrastructure that lets users take loans or use their Bitcoin in financing without the Bitcoin leaving main chain. So uh, discrete log contracts, DLCs, are a technology 
that enable fully non-custodial use of Bitcoin and finance uh, applications on Bitcoin, and we're an infrastructure company that implements DLCs into, into applications on different chains. Okay, so if we were to kind of simplify this down to its core, what would you say is like the, the primary problem that, that you're solving in all of this? Yeah, the problem is that in order to, I mean, we all believe in Bitcoin. We got into crypto. Many of us, most of us got into crypto because of Bitcoin and the promise of decentralized assets and uh, and all of that, the safety that comes with that. But today, if you want to use your Bitcoin to take a loan or you want to do any kind of finance with it, you have to uh, entrust a custodian. You have to send the Bitcoin to either a single custodian uh, like BitGo or Anchorage, or you have to use a software bridge or a smart contract bridge where you basically send Bitcoin, it gets locked somewhere. There are these validators that kind of you know keep it there. Uh, and then and 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 there are risks with that. So you know we've just seen FTX and some other you know large companies and protocols collapse last year. We saw regular banking collapses. I mean many many over the last couple of weeks. And the whole point of Bitcoin is for it to be a safe place to park your assets. It doesn't make sense that the only way to do financing, or, you know, to do to use that Bitcoin in any kind of transaction requires this, you know. It requires you to trust some other system that could also blow up or be hacked or or collapse. Yeah, it feels like the irony in, in in to be honest, a whole load of DeFi, but in particular with Bitcoin, where DeFi in the same sense as how it operates within ETH just doesn't really exist. It's not really what it was completely built for, in fairness. But you know the a lot of the activity that's happening, the way people are for example, like collateralizing assets they have to lend against them, it, it ends up actually being very centralized, right? And you, you have this, it's, it's kind of antithesis of the, the whole movement around what blockchain technology and decentralized ledger technology is facilitated with decentralization. And you end up actually just having these real big kind of honeypots, central point of failures, like the, the BitGoes, et cetera. And, talk about bridges right I, I feel like i think something in the realms of like two billion dollars in just the second half of last year or maybe all of last mm-hmm. year was was exploited through bridges right and you know that's it's a real challenge for for people when they're thinking about okay how do i actually utilize this what is supposed to be a, a big store of value um so how 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 do these DLCs work? Like let, let's get like one layer deeper to see how this is a bit different from using like a third party custodian. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the I would really contrast it to these bridges. So you know the difference between a DLC and a custodian is really simple. You're entrusting the the Bitcoin chain to to hold the Bitcoin. Uh, and, and, you know, with a custodian, you send it to a company, they put it in their vaults, they give you a token, and then you use that token elsewhere. So you're 100% dependent on the company. But, but how are DLCs different from a bridge? I mean, you just mentioned this kind of, I think this kind of big kind of pain point and kind of cringe moment for anyone in crypto where, you know, you hear about some technology, oh, this takes Bitcoin and, you know, trustlessly, and non-custodially moves it to blah, blah, blah. 
and it's secured by this network or da da da. It's like, wait a minute, didn't you just say non custodial and trustless? But it's actually secured with this network. And every time I see one of these posts, it's kind of like, oh, here we go. Here, here it is. Like, how big is your validator network? And how many ways can that be hacked? Or how could something go wrong? The difference is DLCs are so simple. And they're really, look, they're really more of an academic invention. They were uh, created by the guy uh, who co-created the Lightning Network. Uh, this oh. guy, Taj Dryja at MIT, published this white paper on DLCs in 2018. He showed the math and, and, we're, and basically we're you know, bringing that to life. And what DLCs are, it's really simple. Think of it like a two of two multi-sig. Think of it as two parties entering an escrow. One party put, let's say you're buying Bitcoin for USDC or something like that. And one party puts in Bitcoin and basically puts it in escrow. The other party sends the, the stable coin. And once the stable coin has been sent, the escrow unlocks and the Bitcoin goes to, to that party. That's pretty much the idea. Uh, but the way that DLCs do that on Bitcoin is you have this layer. Uh, we historically have called it a Bitcoin Oracle layer, but we're finding that actually gets, you know, f folks get confused because it's not a type of Oracle that, you know, people typically, you know, think of when they think uh, like Chainlink and Pith and stuff. So, yeah. so we're now calling it an attestation layer. But basically, you send it, there, there's this, um, you send your Bitcoin to a multi-sig UTXO on Bitcoin chain where you enter into this with, with another party. And there's this attestation layer that's basically publishing numbers. And this is the genius behind the, the, the math and just behind the, the, the academic kind of invention here is you have this attestation layer that is publishing numbers related to the transaction. But the, 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 the nodes in the attestation layer doesn't know who the people are who are in the transaction. So unlike a bridge, where you have a decentralized network kind of validating things and you know these servers all talk to each other and they kind of have a have some shared state uh, unlike that in a dlc you have um, each dlc will have some number of nodes assigned to it at random like you know whatever 10 or 100 doesn't really matter and these nodes are publishing uh, numbers uh, they're called nonces for for technical folks. So the, the, each of the the oracles, uh, or sorry, the attestation nodes we're now calling, uh, publishes a nonce, and the parties use that nonce in the transaction, and then uh, to 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 kind of open create the, the this escrow. Then the user funds the escrow, moves the Bitcoin in, and when the user funds the Bitcoin, they pre-sign all of the potential uh, conditional outcomes. So all of the ways that that Bitcoin could move uh, in that transaction. To use my earlier example, let's say you're you know buying uh, stablecoin for Bitcoin. There's two outcomes: either the purchase goes through and your Bitcoin is moved, or the purchase does not go through uh, and and the Bitcoin is returned to the user. So basically, you pre-sign those two outcomes as a user and, and as the counterparty. And and from there on, it's kind of locked into this like very simple smart contract system where you, you have this pre-signed, you know, these pre-signed conditions, it's locked in this multi-sig. And then, and then basically it, it just, the system just awaits from an input from the Ethereum side, the smart contract involved to basically say, okay, what happened? You know, did the funds go through or, or did they not? And when that uh, smart contract on ETH 
you know, sh shoots over that event and basically says, here's what happened. This attestation layer attests what's called attests to it, but basically they uh, just sort of, um, I don't want to say they sign it because they're not a party to the transaction, but they publish a number relating to that outcome. So they kind of translate that outcome from ETH into Bitcoin. And then the parties grab that number and use it to to uh, you know create to execute a Bitcoin transaction. So it's it's like a trustless bridge in that the attestation layer is completely separate from the parties. There are no you know consensus networks or whatever. It's just the attestation layer is sort of structuring this escrow and then uh, giving providing the data for the parties to execute the escrow once the outcome is known. Okay, so this is really interesting. I think this is a super interesting part of this. And I think for anyone that's not super technical, um, they they may be getting a little bit lost in the weeds of the details. So why don't we like uh, like bring this down into layman terms? Let me let me give the what I've interpreted your technical explanation, which has been great, Aki, as in. I guess like somewhat simple terms and you tell me if I've grasped this correctly or where I, where I've gone wrong. So <clears throat> what I'm kind of hearing here is you've got two pieces to this. You've got the Bitcoin piece. So I've, I, I own some Bitcoins uh, or some sats, whatever. And I lock that up in to effectively like an on-chain escrow is it fair to think about this almost Absolutely. like a vault Absolutely. almost like on 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 bitcoin that's that's kind of stored on on chain yeah uh, yeah vault might be even an, an overstatement it is just yeah. an escrow so, so we've got this escrow and it holds my let's just simplify this down my one bitcoin okay. and you know i that's kind of interesting but then it's like okay well i now have this this asset, this one Bitcoin that's on Bitcoin, verifiable, and it's in an escrow. Now I want to go do something with that. And this is where kind of the second piece comes in, because what it seems like what you're saying there is, okay, now we're kind of interacting with non-Bitcoin blockchains, for example, Ethereum. And what we're able to do is say, okay, we have a smart contract that is going to say, and let's just use lending as the example, um, based on this like Bitcoin that's held in this escrow, I'm going to lend out maybe via some pr like lending protocol like Aave maybe or something in the future, um, some USDC uh, against this escrowed balance. And the smart contract effectively interacts with this this DLC, this, this escrow on Bitcoin to help me basically make that pr a productive asset on other blockchains, am I? Uh, before I go any further, is that is that a correct assumption of of how I should think about this? That's right. That's right. And the most simplified way to think about it is, you lock an asset into escrow, pending a, a, a outcome or a signal from an external place, which in this case is a, another blockchain. So you're locking Bitcoin in escrow and you're waiting for a signal from the Ethereum smart contract to basically tell you what happened, and and, and, and that then uh, determines what happens to that escrowed Bitcoin. That's and right. This is, this is exciting because, and I, and I don't think many people realize, actually, the, the value of, of just how simple that is and how trustless that is. Because if I think about how I would and how I have historically 
kind of even just taken Bitcoin off chain, uh, or, or sorry, taken my Bitcoin that I hold on the Bitcoin blockchain and kind of do something with it on, let's say, Ethereum. So I've, I've borrowed against my Bitcoin before, but I, I, I kind of almost say that like in, in quotations that against my Bitcoin. What I've actually done is I've had to say, okay, I'm going to transfer Bitcoin into a third-party custodian like BitGo, and they are going to hold that in their reserves, and they're going to give me back wrapped Bitcoin, like a token equivalent uh, that kind of matches my my deposit. That's like, okay, well, they're kind of holding an escrow and they're giving me a token in receipt of that. Fine. And then I take that uh, wrapped Bitcoin and I then, again, deposit that token into a vault through, say, Aave, and I'll borrow USDC against it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The problem lies in that, you know, if anything were to happen with those Bitcoins that were actually locked up uh, in in escrow via the third party, let's say like BitGo or whatever, if they had a, an exploit and they were lost, well, you know, that wrapped Bitcoin is basically a pegged asset. And as the reserves go, like we've seen with stuff over the, the past couple of weeks with USDC, it can depeg and lose value, which also could have a knock-on effect to me being liquidated on Aave and, you know, real bad stuff happens. And we've even seen in crises of confidence, actually wrapped BTC as a, as a good example here, actually losing its peg against Bitcoin over time, even when uh, reserves haven't necessarily taken a hit. And the difference with what you're saying to me is, well, hey, forget all of that additional intermediation layer. And actually, it can be trusted. There's no like, oh, one-to-one kind of like we're wrapping up this ERC-20 token that now is going to be used and we're kind of like having this whole reserve asset. It, it seems like, you know, this is just simplification, removing all of that risk and just actually making a much more efficient process for both buyer, seller, lender, borrower, etc. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when is an asset not an asset? Well, when it's not, you know, it's not in its native form, it's guaranteed by somebody else. So imagine if you're, you know, uh, transferring pounds to dollars, but you actually have to go through, you know, uh, you know, First Republic Bank, and they give you First Republic Bank US dollar tokens, you know, you're not going to feel great about that, um, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And and you you might go for it if you need a small transaction, I guess, like, all right, I guess, hey, I hope they can like spend it at, you know, McDonald's or whatever. But if you're a business, you're definitely not going to depend on that because you you know how often banks blow up, unfortunately. And then you see how often non-regulated like non-banking entities that are are not even, you know, that are much more recent, uh, however smart they are, you're not going to take that risk on large amounts of money. So, so in this case, yeah, you're, you're keeping it all on Bitcoin the whole time. There's no wrapped asset, you know, it's just moving into escrow, moving out. It's basically adding an if then statement to your Bitcoin, which you, you can think in programming, how often do you use if if then statements in, in programming mm-hmm. all the time? I mean, that's one of the basic, you know, primitives of programming. Well, imagine now you can do that on your Bitcoin uh, and that just opens up as a developer, even that opens up so many possibilities 
it's really countless. Uh, I, I say without exaggeration, you know, how many ways can we use money? How many ways can we use event statements on money and on Bitcoin? That is, it really opens up a new world. And, and, and it's frankly the only scalable way to do it, in my view. I mean, there are other approaches and I hope, you know, bridges get better and, and, and so on. But, but this, is, this is scalable because you're not sending your Bitcoin to a central location or to a set of smart contracts or to a pool. You, you, you don't send it anywhere. You just put it in these decentralized escrow, you know, it's a decentralized escrow layer. And you have these decentralized escrows all over Bitcoin chain, and and it's just there. So it just it's it stays in place, and and that's really powerful. I think it's it's very powerful. I I, I actually have a, a question for you. You mentioned earlier that you know the the academic paper around DLCs was produced and published in two thousand eighteen. Uh, so five yes. years on. That's right. Why is why's no one why's no one done this yet? Why what what's <laughs> what's the what's the situation? Why is it that you, this is only being picked up by you and the team now? That's that's usually the biggest question we get is how come nobody's built this already? Well, <laughs> uh, to be fair, uh, the time kind of had to come for this idea. So there were other teams that picked it up. Uh, there's one guy in particular, Chris Stewart at Shortbits, gets a lot of credit for uh, picking it up building, maintaining the DLC spec, writing blog posts about it, you know, and, and there's a couple of people, Ben Carmen, Nadav Cohen, they've really, uh, the guy named Thibaut, they've really, uh, really kept that kind of DLC torch going, but it's it's been very, what I call a reference prototype, very academic. So it's basically, can we take this white paper and turn it into, you know, library or set of libraries or piece of code? And, and in doing so, they they built stuff that works, you know, in an academic setting um, and with no disrespect to them, they, they didn't really have a sense for, you know, they weren't really focused on, you know, where can we plug this in? It was more, you know, how can this work? And they were able to make it work. And then with Taproot in November, 2021, mm. uh, Taproot really enabled it because Taproot introduced two things, uh, Schnorr signatures and, and another thing called PTLCs that made it actually possible to to do this in production in in a very efficient way uh and so they you know they get a lot of credit for being the you know being the the original people but that's still you know one thing that happens sometimes in bitcoin land we have you know brilliant developers and engineers but they're thinking of it in kind of more of a bitcoin only context and there are bitcoin only uses of dlcs the problem is that there was never any liquidity. There was never really a marketplace. You know, the the idea of like two people kind of finding each other and like escrowing through this specific technology um, without an, a smart contract involved, just two people finding each other. That's sort of what these DLC teams, you know, imagined. And that that didn't really happen. It didn't materialize. Yeah. So so what we as DLC Link started, we just reframed the problem. What if a DLC is a user entering into a contract with an application, and that application is, in most cases, on this on a smart you know contract chain like Ethereum or Solana or or somewhere else where there are a lot of developers and they're building stuff, and so so that to us it became a way to bring Bitcoin liquidity to other chains and bring the functionality and composability of other chains to Bitcoin. 
And so we see this, although it's kind of unorthodox, I mean, it is probably, I don't know, probably controversial, definitely unorthodox, you know, wh why would you kind of bridge these two kind of different worlds? Well, we want to bring them together because there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of applications and a lot of ways to your earlier point, a lot of peer-to-peer -peer lending marketplaces, you know, on ETH that cannot accept native Bitcoin. So that's really the problem that we're looking to solve. And it's just a complete, you know, it's a completely different, it's the same kind of scientific principles, but it's a different uh, engineered system to deliver that functionality. But turns out that functionality is very much needed because today all of the kind of large trading shops and everything is built on EVM and, you know, Ethereum systems. And anytime you want to touch Bitcoin, you have to take the Bitcoin, wrap it, do something with it, unwrap it. And it, it, it just introduces a lot of, you know, extra steps and counterparties and risk and fees. And it's just so it turns out that DLCs might be, you know, the, the most impactful Bitcoin invention on Ethereum for, you know, for utilizing Bitcoin in trading and, and lending and finance. And you mentioned that, you know, Taproot was one of the key developments that have enabled ultimately what is probably like the proliferation now of DLCs on an academic level, but also the commercialization of it, which seems like what you're, you're, you're offering here as well. But I think it's really fascinating that since the Taproot upgrade, almost unknowingly to, to those who were really championing it, it seems like it's just unlocked such a huge spread of new applications and use cases for Bitcoin. We've seen with ordinals that has basically only been able to be uh, made possible uh, in the advent of, uh, of course, initially SegWit, but also uh, now Taproot. Uh, we're seeing DLCs. I'm sure we're seeing more. And I think it's opening up people's eyes to, you know, uh, while it's been divisive, don't get me wrong, this, this most trusted chain that we have that has this enormous amount of capital locked within it it's okay if it does more stuff. And actually, we should be exploring a lot of this. So I think this is fantastic to see this. And you're right, you know, Bitcoin itself has a huge amount of liquidity. But when it comes to user experience, marketplaces, demand for the end applications that will utilize a lot of this, you know, it's ETH is the place to be another um, major smart contract chains, at least. I want to I want to ask you a question though, uh, Aki. And um, so, in amongst all of the hype around things like ordinals and et cetera, et cetera, we've seen uh, a few different layer one blockchains appearing uh, that are, I guess, like quote unquote, secured by Bitcoin. Uh, one of note would be Stacks, and I think they have been riding kind of this like wave of kind of trying to say at least that they are the i guess the bridge between bitcoin and regular like smart contract based chains and other evm chains etc cetera, etc cetera. what's 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 kind of the the differentiator here from like what you're building and what the likes of stacks and others are, are doing yeah, you know you you're you're totally right in that the taproot has unlocked a lot of capabilities 
you know, for Bitcoin that we're just starting to, you know, scratch the surface of. Uh, Stacks as a community, we really like Stacks uh, as a community, and we, you know, we're very impressed by Manib, their founder, and uh, and just the people there. Uh, and and there, it's a community of people who, broadly speaking, believe that Bitcoin can be used for more than just, you know, sitting on it or sending it, you know, kind of one by one. But you know, you you can do different things. Their particular approach is, as you said, this kind of layer one, or they call it a layer one point five. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Maybe it's a layer two. I don't know. It's some sort of layer, <laughs> layer X. Uh, it's definitely not Bitcoin <laughs> yeah. because because it's secured by a validator, series of validators, and so on. But but you know it's 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 one way of of doing stuff with Bitcoin. Um, I, I DLCs work on Stacks, they work on ETH, they work on Solana, they would work on Tron, I guess. If we we haven't tried that yet, definitely work on Cosmos. You know DLCs work anywhere because your counterparty. Is it, it really is just a simple escrow. Your counterparty can be on Solana or your counterparty can be on whatever. As long as they have a Bitcoin wallet address, which is what they need to enter into the DLC with your Bitcoin wallet address. Um, and, and so it, it's really portable in that sense. Um, it's really just the concept of escrow. Uh, and so, so we spent quite a bit of time. We're implementing into some projects at Stacks. And they've been, you know, they've been very helpful because this is aligned with their. It's not even really uh, as as relate, relevant to stacks as it is relevant to trust machines, which is Munib's, you know, more recent company that mm. invests into Bitcoin layers of all types and DLCs are Bitcoin layer. Uh, you can also now this is maybe mixing things, but you can also do ordinals into DLCs, so you can facilitate mm-hmm. the trading and financing of ordinals. By locking it into DLC, just it's another SAT. Uh, I love that. Could, yeah, so so there's actually an article coming out about that soon. We haven't, you know, transparently we haven't dug too deep in it yet, but we are, we, you know, we're always open to projects or protocols that are building that, um, and 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 we can plug our, our this layer in. Uh, but but it really has just, I mean, it's such a broad, you know, broad applicability. I would actually say. The interesting thing I would I've learned over the last you know X months is that people at Stacks, people in Bitcoin land, uh, you know, people who you know approach these as kind of assets uh, or an asset class or whatever, they are not necessarily uh, you know the same people who are using Bitcoin or trading Bitcoin. You know, mm-hmm. who's trading Bitcoin? Like hedge funds and you know, different, you know, credit desks and whatever. So you have these different, uh, you know, market makers. So you have people who are traders. And I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I, I'm not a professional trader. I've, I've never been. But we talked to a lot of traders and then moving around a lot of Bitcoin for various reasons. Uh, sometimes they use Bitcoin on the basis of, of, of like margin trading for, for other tokens. Or th- there are many uses for Bitcoin because it's, you know, stable, relatively stable. It's highly correlated to other tokens. So they're using, they're, they're moving around a lot of Bitcoin. And what's interesting is I also go to Bitcoin meetups and the general vibe of Bitcoin meetups is like buy and hold. And when I talk to, you know, leading Bitcoin people, they're like, hey, you know, people don't really trade their Bitcoin. They don't really, you know, they just buy and hold. And and I'm like, well, wait a moment. Like these traders, like Jane Street, they trade Bitcoin all the time. Yeah. Um, and it, usually it's wrapped form out of necessity. 
And and so so and, and I actually looked into it. The circulating supply of Bitcoin is like twenty two percent. So over over a fifth of Bitcoin is being like traded, and uh, and and so it's just kind of interesting. We have these different people, different views, different um, groups or communities with different uh, areas of focus. Um, I don't think I think Stacks is really cool in that they're supporting the Bitcoin side. I don't think Stacks is trading a lot of Bitcoin. That's more like a Jane Street. You know, that's not their role. But it's just really, you know, but, but our goal as just kind of a, you know, evangelizing the DLC layer, as it were, is to bring all these communities together to, you know, highlight case studies, show who's who's able to use this for what, and just to encourage the growth of, of, of you know, the use of Bitcoin in finance overall facilitated by by the dlc layer because we think it's the it's the best layer on bitcoin you know for this purpose and and it, it's just an amazing invention so you're cutting out custodials uh like these like third party custodians should i say in in this process you're enabling on chain completely on chain and you know, escrow if you like of bitcoin and even ordinals uh so individual like uh, sats uh through dlcs you're going to be connecting these uh to other smart contract based chains and i imagine the goal is then plugging this technology into these big protocols the, the big lending protocols on eth and solana and etc cetera, etc cetera. um what from from here i guess what's what do you see as the big picture for, for, for what you're building, Aki? And, you know, wh- where actually are you with the, the, the project right now? What are the, where are you in stage of launches and what's, what's to come next? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting in that, ironically, uh, so our first launches are, are DeFi projects. Uh, one is an integration into a lender on Stacks called Arcadico. One is an integration into an NFT lender on ETH called Arcade.xyz and some other ones. And so we approach it like any kind of crypto, you know, native or crypto enthusiast would. We approach it with a focus on DeFi. And now we're really actually strangely, interestingly, partnering very deeply with custodians because turns out custodians, they have a couple of reasons they're interested in this. One, they're keenly aware of risks. I mean, mm. being a custodian is being in the risk management business, uh, and and they and, and if there's a technology that lowers their risk, uh, they're going to want to offer it, and and they're going to want to recommend it to their clients as well. A custodian sit between liquidity providers such, such as investment funds, um, and and then you know credit trading desks and lending desks and. And, and just, you know, market makers and traders, and they're kind of in the middle of all of this. Uh, and they are, I have a feeling they're going to be our best partners um, and they're going to implement and work with us to implement DLCs to enable new products and services that just weren't possible before. Um, the other reason I think custodians and CFI are really important is because when you're sitting on a small amount of Bitcoin, and you wrap it, you know, it's not that big of a deal from a risk standpoint. And if you have a couple thousand dollars of wrapped Bitcoin, oh, well, you know, not a big deal. Uh, It'll probably, you probably won't have an issue with it, except, you know, barring like a a black swan event, like 
like the Solad BTC that depegged last year on mm. Solana, stuff like that. Like that, that would be, of course, uh, injurious to your holdings, but it's not like a life or death thing necessarily. But if your business, you know, focuses on Bitcoin, you're mining it, you're trading it, you know, you're holding it. If you're, you know, if, if you're, if it's, if, if counterparty risk, uh, or tri-party risk is is a is a uh, life or death question for you, then you're really really going to want to invest into things that lower that risk by using technology in innovative ways. So so as we've been talking to C5 players, um, and also I mean commercially uh, they hold a lot more Bitcoin than individual than retail does. So as we've been talking to C5 players, there's just intense interest in what this can bring to the CFI landscape and what it, and what it could do both to reduce risk and to enable you know new service offerings for large customers that frankly choose to self custody you know you can enable loans and other finance products for companies that are are so large that they actually build self custody systems but they still want to take advantage of these services offered by these you know, C5 players otherwise. So it's it's really, um, I think it's going to have both, you know, uh, interesting DeFi applications and interesting CFI, uh, but the pull from CFI recently has been very strong, just given all the context of all the failures around us. That makes a, that makes a whole heap of sense. This has been an exciting and, and super interesting discussion, Aki. Uh, where, where can people learn a little bit more about what you're building? Yeah, best place is our website, dlc.link. There's a docs documentation page, docs.dlc.link. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, join our Discord. We tweet. Uh, yeah, those are pretty much the big ones. But otherwise, if anyone's interested in learning more or just get you know getting specific questions answered, you can also reach me, uh, Aki, A-K-I, at dlc.link, or on Twitter, Aki Balog, A-K-I-B-A-L-O-G-H or at DLC underscore link, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll be sure that we, we tweet out a bunch of those links. Well, thanks so much, Thank Aki. You. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we'll, of course, be uh, following everything that you're doing over the coming months and years ahead. Great being here. Excited for the future. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation, why not subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a positive review. You want to catch up on all of the previous episodes? Why not visit decryptingcrypto.xyz, follow us on Twitter at decryptopodcast. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or just want to leave us some personal feedback, email us at podcast at decryptingcrypto.xyz. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.